0: Oftentimes, when a man is making a crude sexist joke, what's happening uh, psychologically is he has not made peace with the feminine that is within him. Welcome to On Her Terms, a podcast that helps women
1: nurture their unique personal power and channel it into creating a life that is truly their own. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. Discrimination is definitely, at least for me, a difficult subject to discuss. In some ways, I even understand why we may be prejudiced against certain people, certain communities, certain groups. But when we allow that prejudice to translate into actual discriminatory behavior, the whole thing becomes somewhat senseless. People are complex and your culture, race, gender, religion, it influences the person you become. Sure but that's not all there is to us. More importantly, we have a mind capable of considering diverse ideas, challenge generalization, social norms, ideology, systems, and yet we allow our fears and our egos to persuade us into practices that are not only out of integrity with our higher selves, but that actually lead to creating more fear in the world, making it difficult to build a world of equality, of mutual respect and consideration, and give talented, intelligent, skilled people the opportunities they deserve. Because why? Because they don't have the right skin color or the right gender, so we don't even give them the opportunity to demonstrate their capabilities as a human being or as a professional, not caring about how astonishingly unfair that is. I feel, due to my beliefs and perhaps my past experiences maybe, that someone may not have what it takes to be good at a certain job. And on the strength of what is essentially my assumption, I am going to deny that person even the chance to prove me wrong. What is that? Is that arrogance? Is that conditioning? Is that fear? Where does discrimination come from? What gives us the right to use skin color and gender? Things that say very little really about who we are and what we are capable of as basis for choosing to allow or not allow someone into our personal and professional space. Today's episode discusses gender discrimination, which is something that every woman has experienced in some capacity or other. And I honestly don't see a time when that will <laughs> cease to happen. So I truly believe that women, in fact, not just women, but all of us should be taught to respond to discrimination in the right way. And we have to begin by understanding why people discriminate. What makes men, and even some women, Think that just because you have a vagina, you are unfit to be a CEO, hold your own in high-pressure situations, be a fair employer, your failures and grow from them? I mean, to believe that your gender dictates your performance, your choices, that's just absurd. The idea makes me angry, but it also makes me want to learn how we can constructively respond to gender discrimination. Where there is understanding, there is less room for anger, making it easier for us to respond in a way that helps our cause and that also helps a person practicing the discriminatory behavior. Hate can push us into making a bad situation worse. What we need is compassionate understanding and solutions that allow us to protect ourselves and educate others as we go along, which is why I invited Chloe Valerie to the show. After spending a year as a Bartley Fellow at the Wall Street Journal, Chloe developed the theory of enchantment, an innovative framework for compassionate anti-racism that combines social-emotional learning, character development, and interpersonal growth as tools for leadership development in the boardroom and beyond. Theory of enchantment is based on three fundamentals. Treat people like human beings, not political abstractions. Criticize to uplift and empower never to tear down, never to destroy, and root everything you do in love and compassion. Chloe has trained around the world. Her clients have included high school and college students, government agencies, business teams, and many more. She has also lectured in universities across America, including Harvard and Georgetown. Her work has been covered in Psychology Today magazine, and her writings have appeared in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. In today's episode, we learn more about the theory of enchantment and how it's teaching people to respond to discrimination the right way and with compassion, not anger. We talk about what drives discrimination, how to respond to it at work and in the outside world without assuming a combative stance or competing in self-destructive ways. How do we become an integral part of a group that practices exclusion without losing our distinct identity as it relates to our gender, race, and beyond? Doing self-work so that we can show up in diverse spaces with confidence and without making our gender or race a factor in our performance. What can women do to support each other? How do we fight for equality and acceptance without shifting the focus away from our accomplishments and capabilities? And so much more. I am so thrilled to share this conversation with you, and I really hope that it helps you respond to discrimination with more confidence and do your part in making the world a kinder, more compassionate place where everyone is allowed to have a voice and the opportunity to become whoever they want to be. Let's dive in. All right. Let me start by once again, thanking you for being here because I'm just so thrilled. I already shared with you how much I have been loving your interviews, hearing you talk about this very crucial subject and just being so in command of yourself. It is always so (laughs) great to see women own a room. It's awesome. I love it.
0: (laughs) For sure,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of that for all the work that you created. I know what led you to creating theory of enchantment, but I still I want to know what, according to you, drives discrimination. Because I have to believe Mm. that there's more than it's more than prejudice, more than ignorance. It can't just be all about hating a particular race. That seems too simplistic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that. Hatred comes from self hatred, ultimately. I mean, I think that a lot of prejudice and racism, in particular, comes from a failure on the part of an individual to be in right relationship with all of their own complexity. And when a person casts off a certain element of themselves that they do not like, What often happens psychologically and subconsciously is then we project that thing that we don't like about ourselves onto another person or onto another group of people, which manifests in racism and other forms of bigotry. And so I think that that is the root of where a lot of hatred stems from. And it can be very difficult to come to terms with that if you're on the receiving end of the hatred. Because it can be very tempting to see the hater, as it were, as a kind of monster, um, yeah. as a kind of other, uh, separate from you, without recognizing that you too are capable of hatred, right? So mm-hmm. it's a, it can be a never ending cycle if you go down that road. But I think ultimately it comes from a failure to assimilate all of the complexity of oneself and instead taking an element of yourself that you don't like or that you just fail to take responsibility for and projecting it onto another person or another group of people.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why I feel like theory of enchantment is such a gift because that is so difficult to do and hatred, it sort of feeds on itself. And when it's hard, I have to say, because I always try to take that stance wherein I see the people coming, you know, treating me badly as someone who is probably in pain. But I have to say it is not easy to do that, despite I have a background in psychology. But even I find it, it's hard (laughs) to remember that in the moment when you need to remember it the most, I think.
0: What would you say is hard about that? Because I also think it's hard. But I'm curious to hear your, your perspective. I think you get triggered in
1: those moments. One, the thing that I do is I walk away. Like I don't say anything at all. I don't say anything kind, but I try not (laughs) to say anything unkind either. So I just walk away because I think you get triggered. There is so much that, it's not just about that moment because if it were just about that moment, you would be probably be blindsided. You would be shocked. You would be stumped. You would be confused for a response, but it's not. It's like there is a piece of, us that almost expect to be treated in certain ways in certain situations mm. and then we already have a response ready to go and it just it's not the right one
0: yeah there's this idea in nonviolent communication which was written a book written by marsha rosenberg incredible book highly recommend but it says that that's like an actually viable legitimate thing to do if you don't have empathy for the person if you don't have enough empathy for the person who's, you know, being monstrous towards you, then it's totally appropriate for you to walk away and remove yourself from the situation, you know, until you can restore or replenish the amount of empathy that you have. So, cause you have to take care of yourself as well. And that's really important.
1: Yeah. That, that makes sense. If you don't have anything kind to of say, just don't say anything at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. but I think, this is why I have you here because this is what I want to understand. We feel provoked, especially when we are in a business setting, wherein our career is at stake or our okay. reputation is at stake or just our sort of our, our growth is at stake. You know, what something yeah. that we've been working towards our whole lives when that happens, I think when that happens at workplace towards women and they are discriminated for being women in these Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's something that you can actually point to and say that this is wrong, this is being done to me. But most of the time it is very subtle. Like yeah. women are treated as highly emotional, highly volatile beings, or they are treated as fragile yeah. or something like that. How do we respond to that? In a, considering it's a workplace, how do we respond to that? And how do we respond to that in a way where we are not self-distorting into these uncomfortable, unrecognizable shapes or hurting ourselves?
0: Well, it's a hard question without knowing like a specific example or a specific situation, but I would say in general, the same, the same rule applies. In nonviolent communication, when you are not having a a need that is met, you are taught to state the feeling that has emerged. So for example, if, if you're being, let's say that's, I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. Let's say that, like, in the environment, they want people to, like, build camaraderie and, like, team up and go to all of these group events. And I'm thinking in a pre COVID mindset. But you've been sort of really stressed. You've been working really hard on a project for the past few weeks and you really need some alone time. Nonviolent communication teaches you how to, like, express the need that you're feeling. So let's say you're feeling frustrated. I'm feeling frustrated because. I have this need to be replenished, right? I've been really stressed out from work, from this project that I've been working on. I need to sort of restore my sensibility, restore my health. And so I can't go to this event right now because I need to work on that for myself. And so I like this technique because it teaches you how to express the needs, how to express the feelings that you're feeling because those needs have not been met. And then it also teaches you how to ask. Like, given that I have just expressed this, can you give me space, for example, would be a specific ask in this particular situation. Um, And obviously the ask would differ based upon the situation and the context. But just training ourselves to be able to state the feelings that we feel as they emerge, state the needs behind those feelings, and then ask to have those needs met. In a very, like, direct... And compassionate manner. And you can also do that when you're experiencing prejudice and you're experiencing, you know, someone who's, let's say, being dismissive towards you because you're a woman, you can express, and this is hard. (laughs) You can express, you know, when you said this, when you said X, Y, and Z, I felt really small and unseen in that moment. And the need behind that is like I have a need to feel seen and connected and and affirmed. And I'm wondering, given that I've shared this with you, if you can, you know, commit to not saying these things about women or, you know, again, I'm making this up, but this is hard because it requires you to be vulnerable and it requires you to accept a value system, which I think has actually been very devalued in let's say, patriarchal culture, which is the capacity to express feelings and the capacity to relate to people. (laughs) Like, this is not something that's very highly valued in the culture. But I think there's a way we can train ourselves, especially as women, to be able to lean into that and to practice that on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, this is something I often uh, teach my clients that, the, I call it in my uh, coaching. I call it stepping off that ledge. So mm. all of that heat, all of that anger, all of that resentment, taking it out of your body and putting it out in the open. Let everyone mm. look at it. It's no longer your secret that you're nursing, and it, it's just when you do that, it's lost its power over you. Now you're running the show. So, yeah but yeah, as you said, it's not that. Especially when I think when these situations come up at a workplace, we we tend to feel very flustered, cornered, yeah. ambushed almost, and To make yourself all the more vulnerable doing this, adding to that vulnerability, I think, yeah, it is hard to take on. But let me ask you, uh, because this is something that makes me curious all the time. Do you ever ignore it? Like at a workplace, there's an end to your day, you get to go home. Do you ever ignore it? Ignore is a very interesting word. Okay, so let me give you an example here. Yeah. This is an example that often, like I see this happening all the time. Crude sexist jokes women Mm. laugh at them because that's expected it makes you more sporty it makes you one of the guys but (laughs) more often than not they're not okay you shouldn't
0: they Mm. are basically
1: condoning those stereotypes those jokes are always built on, on the back of a stereotype that is actually very harmful to our gender
0: yeah this is a challenging question for me because on the one hand i do think that there are I'm a I'm hugely into Carl Jung and so I yeah. I I think that there are like archetypes that like influence our our world and of course one of the archetypes is the jester the jokester and I understand yeah. that, that I I do think there is a place for jokes and joking and things of that nature on the other hand oftentimes when a man is making a crude sexist joke what's happening uh, psychologically is he has not made peace with the feminine that is within him. And Agreed. so, and so he's projecting that out onto the women in the room because of that. And so there is a way to, I, I wouldn't necessarily say ignore, but it depends. Like if I'm, it could be that I'm totally not personally bothered by, it. like it doesn't affect me because I'm recognizing yeah. that that's actually the dynamic that's <laughs> happening. And, yeah. it has, and so it has nothing to do with me. Right. But maybe because I want to enter into that spirit of relationship as a value system, maybe I do pull him aside and talk to him and have a conversation with him. But also, if it doesn't personally affect me, then maybe I don't. It really depends, like if it's a repeated pattern of behavior with this specific person and also like if there are other women who clearly it's bothering them, but they may not feel comfortable saying something. I would hope that I would be be strong enough but also relational enough to be able to call to go to him and talk to him. But if it's an isolated experience, I'm not necessarily going to be affected by it. And in that case again, I don't think I'm ignoring it per se, but it's just right. I know that it's actually ultimately not about me. But yeah. I know that it's actually about him and his issues. So, it's tricky. It really depends.
1: Yeah, but that uh, that was a point of view that I hadn't appreciated before. You pointed mm. out to me that it makes a lot of sense. So you don't have to take on the responsibility of changing the person, but when it comes to the system mm. and the larger play, then perhaps you do what you can in the most compassionate, peaceful manner possible. Would is it okay to yeah. say that?
0: Yeah, especially okay. if he's creating an environment where like other people are not. Are not able to show up in their best selves you know with their best selves because there's this myth there's this lack of trust now right yeah. there's this fear and now you can't do your job in an environment where there's a lack of trust and where there's fear it's just not possible That's not a creative environment so then maybe i would say something
1: becoming part of larger groups like be it at work becoming part of bigger teams. How do we become like an integral part of it, not stand out in a way wherein we are not given equal responsibilities, uh, equal privileges, without losing our distinct identities? How do we do that? Like we assert our personality, but we Mm -hmm. also uh, allow ourselves to be a part of the group and not have those two conflict with each other. Does does that make sense?
0: Are you asking basically like, like, how do you become both an individual and part of a group?
1: Yes, as it relates to our gender,
0: race, and
1: beyond. Of course, we all have quirks, personality yeah. quirks. <laughs> so, considering all yeah. of that, this is. I think a lot of people find that challenging because we are invited to, you know, be authentic as authentic as possible. But for some of us, our authenticity becomes a challenge to everyone else. Then, how do we handle? Yeah,
0: that? I mean, I can tell you from personal experience. I'm a bit of an introvert. So I prefer to be. It's not that I prefer to be alone. It's that I get uh, energized by being alone. It's that my energy right. eventually depletes when I am around people for too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, from the perspective of an introvert, I, which may be different for extroverts, so just bear that in mind. But from the perspective of an introvert, like I have a have a daily meditation practice, which really helps me to practice being in right relationship with all of my complexity um, so that I can then go out into the world and see complexity in others, not as a threat, but as a source of curiosity and wonder and all of those things. So the the short answer to your question is actually, I think, I think it does require some kind of like ritualistic approach to life in order to be able to First of all, have the confidence to assert yourself in situations, but also have the relational piece so that you can sort of fold into the group and be with the group and be in that group dynamic, and to and to move back and forth between the individual and the group, and to realize that one is just kind of an extension of the other. I have found personally in my life that requires like having rituals and practices like meditation like deep study of like, I, you know, study a lot of psychological and spiritual texts and practicing in the real world. I don't know of any other way to get there. Like, I don't, I don't think you can like just read, like be given a set of propositional statements or commandments, so to speak, and just like magically be able to exist in a space where you're able to do that. I think it actually takes ritualistic practice. Um, I haven't found any other way that that works.
1: Yeah, makes sense. But where are gender and our race is concerned? Do you think it's okay to hold back pieces of ourselves? Like, no. for example, no, never?
0: Well, sorry, continue, continue the question. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> okay. I would sometimes try to initiate conversation with my uh, with friends who are of a different race. I would be curious to learn about them. And sometimes I would get the response that, look, if I wanted to talk about this, I'll talk about it with friends who are of the same race. I don't want to talk about this with you. Why don't we talk about something else? I don't know if uh, I was approaching it the wrong way or not, but sometimes I really wonder if people, they, if they're suppressing it or if they're just choosing to hold back that piece and they just don't need, feel the need to express it. But then I start thinking about whether it's, it's hurting them, whether it is subconsciously causing sort of a, a lack of expression that is in the yeah. long run hurtful. So in, in, it, in that it, sense.
0: In this situation, are the people you describing your friends like would you say that you're close to them yes yes close okay yes. okay so I mean I don't know I don't know these people I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in their lives you know people are comfortable speaking about certain things and uncomfortable speaking about not speaking about certain things I think that's normal I think that's human I, I don't know if they're suppressing something or just more comfortable in a different community talking about it and maybe that's just where they are now right like maybe they will over time become comfortable and also keep in mind that like i don't know if you've tried this maybe you have but like people are more willing to be vulnerable when when you show vulnerability so if maybe you go into that situation sharing something about your background and like some challenging thing that that happens within the context that's specific to you that might give other people the confidence to do the same. I don't know. Like, I, I would just you can't you can't force people to to share what they're not yeah. comfortable sharing. I wouldn't necessarily assume that they're suppressing anything. Okay, okay. You know, because I don't know. I have no idea. There's no way I can know. You know.
1: Okay, this was, I guess, a weird question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you have a specific example, but like.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, okay, but I would refer back my listeners to that first response that you gave that very clear emphatic no, you do not <laughs> deliberately repress pieces of yourself, your be it your gender repress, or relating to your no. Race. Yes. Not,
0: I, I mean, what do you mean by repress? like with I don't think holding repress... pieces of with, okay, um, let me put it
1: this way. I have bungled no. this question badly. but with holding <laughs> <laughs> pieces of yourself for the comfort of others. does that help? Withholding pieces of yourself?
0: No. No, I don't think so. There's a, there's a statement that says... There's a quote, I don't know who said it, that says, like, every act of releasing a withhold is an act of love. Right? That's not the same thing as, oh, I just don't feel okay. like talking... But that's not the same thing as, like, I just don't feel like talking about the subject with you. Right? That's not necessarily the same thing. Right. Okay. It could be. There could be an overlap, but it's not necessarily the same thing. So a withhold is, like, you did something to me a few days ago and I was like really angry about it, but I didn't tell you cause I was worried that if I told you, then it, it would like, you know, crumble our friendship, but that's an act of withholding. So I, I need to tell you how I feel like that. That's what uh, the quote okay. really okay, is really important to you. know. Yeah, but that, like That is one perspective. Yeah. But like, yeah. I don't think a person has to share every of aspect yeah. of their identity. And also, there is a value in keeping things to yourself, <laughs> keeping some things to yourself, Being yeah. able, especially in our not to say it's the same, but like in, in our world, which is highly influenced by social media and where everything has to be like expressed and, and broadcasted 24 yes. seven, you know, there is value in not doing that.
1: That makes sense. That does help. That is one. I think that is a perspective to be appreciated because I've, I sometimes think I'm someone who believes in what you see is what you get. No mind games. Mm. I will put it out there, whether you like it or if you don't like it, walk away. If you like it, let's you know take our friendship further or whatever relationship mm. we're having. But I think there is also a certain maturity to you recognizing that this person is not ready for X, Y conversation, for X, Y bits of me, for X, Y pieces of my identity, and then letting it be. Mm-hmm. As, but only if it isn't. Hurting any of the parties involved or hurting a greater cause. This-
0: yeah, I mean, I, there's first of all, there's no way I would be able to know if it's hurting that person unless I ask, and then yeah. it sounds like they yeah. wouldn't be willing to share that information anyway with me because it. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. but there's no way to know, so I can't assume. Right. There could be so many things going on that I have, yeah. that I'm just totally ignorant of, which I am. Right. So I'm not gonna try to guess. And the other thing that we have to watch out, especially within psychology, is this: is this need and impulse to fix everything, right? Yeah. Which is which can yeah. be problematic. And yeah. often, I don't know if, if I would say it's disproportionately a thing that I think we as women experience. But if I were to guess, I would say it is. Um, <laughs> we, like. <laughs> There's this impulse to fix everything. I know it's, it's definitely within me. Yeah, okay, yeah, so I'm speaking absolutely. From, and here's the problem with that. To want to fix everything is a kind of, it's a, a, it's a manifestation of needing to control outcomes. And needing to control the outcome is the exact opposite of relationships relationship is about being with what is giving and receiving right it's a very subtle distinction between the two and so we have to make sure we have to like watch out for that sneaky little impulse within ourselves which i have to fix things because it will hinder our capacity to be in relationship and allow things to emerge naturally so that's another thing to watch out for yeah
1: beautifully beautifully done that was a uh, a lot of learning in there now for the like the difficult this is a, a challenging question for me because yeah. but i i feel the need to ask it so now like for the last few years i have been interacting with people from all over the world especially women i've been having a lot of conversations with women and i notice now this is just this is my experience of this matter so it it isn't exactly a fair sample size right so but i have found that Women of color are a lot more timid in their approach, especially when it comes to challenging topics. They second-guess themselves. They would check and recheck their work. They would check and recheck their stance in life, even. White women, especially American white women that I've spoken to, just have this confidence about saying things that, now I don't know how to put it, not the most diplomatic person, but they say (laughs) things that are (laughs) provocative, that are controversial, that probably... Shouldn't have been said, but that's their truth. So they say it, they declare sure. it, and they declare it with a lot of confidence. And it is admirable. Don't get me wrong. I admire it. But yeah. there is almost a very clear distinction between how white women do it and how women of color do it. And mm. I wonder if we are doing a disservice to ourselves in how we show up. We want equal treatment. We want to be, and that's fair. That is a fair demand. We want uh, all of these growth and all of these opportunities in, in big, with bigger brands, with bigger names but how we are approaching it, perhaps there is work, self-work to be done before we enter those arenas.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about the dichotomy between the way white women speak in the workplace environment versus women of color, but I will say that it sounds like the, the context that you've laid out here is like, we are in pursuit of status right? We are in pursuit of climbing the corporate ladder. And uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. But I would challenge us all, as women, regardless of skin color, I would challenge yeah. us to take some time to develop the self. And That takes, you know, that's not to be, that's not exclusive. That's not mutually exclusive. You know, you can still develop the self while climbing the corporate ladder. And in fact, one will influence the other. But I would challenge us to do that because we don't want to get caught in this obsession with power, power being, now power is important. Let me be very clear. (laughs) Power is extremely important. Um I was just having a conversation with a friend about this. Power is very very important, but on a hierarchy of values, let's say you have a value system, I would caution yeah. you if power is the number 1 value. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome. I would I would caution that because that will be a very unsatisfying life for you. If power is on the the highest rung of the ladder of values that you have because you will never be able to be satisfied right Right? there will always be more power that you could get and i would also encourage in lieu of that to have another value system that is higher than power you know that for me i believe that that value should be love but it's up to every every person to figure out what that value for themselves is. But for me, it's love. And so if my highest value is love, how do I exist in the world? How do I, how can I develop myself in the world such that I am radiating love everywhere I go and at all times, whether it's in the corporate environment, whether it's in the family environment, whether I'm walking on the street, you know, like that is going to be, my compass and that will determine what i do and what i say and when when uh very uncomfortable contexts and situations arise and but you have to have a value system basically is what i'm absolutely and that value system will determine you know how you speak up when you're not being treated properly or you know um how to fold into the group as per your earlier question how to be assertive how to be relational That value system is actually what's going to help determine those behaviors in those moments.
1: Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm taking a quick break here to remind you to subscribe to On Her Terms. Subscribing means that you get the latest episode without fail delivered to you every week. And it helps me reach a wider audience. If you haven't already, please pick up your phone and subscribe now. Let me know that you appreciate the content I'm sharing. Thanks in advance. And if we were to step away from the corporate world, set this question in a more general, put this question in a more general setting in life. Like I I have read studies wherein just putting your gender impacts your performance. Mentioning your race changes how you talk.
0: When you say impacts your performance, what do you mean?
1: Like, for example, I read about these studies that mention that on a mathematics exam, because there is this general idea that women, uh, girls don't do as well on maths as compared to Mm. boys, boys are better at maths. So the moment they would be asked to put down their gender and they would mention female,
0: it Mm. would hit their performance. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think this goes back to the development of the self and being aware, you know, learning those unconscious we talk about unconscious bias, but we don't talk about the unconscious biases that a person has against themselves. Like we don't talk about that. That, that doesn't enter the conversation, right? So if you have a perception of yourself that as a woman I'm not that good at math, then it will become a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. And so if that, so then your task, your responsibility, is to learn what those unconscious biases, you know, that you have against yourself and first I'll ask what's that about you know what where did the, where did these ideas come from yeah and if you want to consciously choose to unlearn them do so you know I was never a math person I don't know if I thought that was because I was a woman I'm not actually sure it's a an interesting question but I was never a math person but I I downloaded this app called elevate which is a really cool app and it gives you like different It gives you daily practices and math and reading and all those things. I was always more of like a a reading person than a math person. But I have noticed that my math skills have improved ever since I started using this app. Yeah. So, but I think it's incumbent upon each individual to excavate the self, as it were, and and learn what's going on in there so you can be conscious, deliberate, and intentional about unlearning what you want to unlearn.
1: Yeah, because I think the things that we hear on the television, we hear yeah, on the radio, yeah. we hear our parents discussing probably in the other room, yeah. they all sort of seep into our yeah. subconscious and they, they show up in these ways that we even don't recognize. And we're so unaware of uh, until yeah, somebody else sure. probably points them out, which is just tragic, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the Theory of Enchantment online course, we have a lot of like different lessons on parental baggage. And so you can start to become conscious of like where messages that you've internalized about yourself, like where they actually came from. And so, again, it's all about making the unconscious conscious so that you can actively take steps to... Intentional. All of this is in service of be, being in right relationship with yourself, right? The fullness of yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, parental baggage is a is a big one that affects like how we yes. see ourselves and the messages that we tell ourselves. Because oftentimes the voices inside inside our heads are actually like the voices of our parents that we don't realize yeah. we've internalized. Yeah,
1: and I think I would highly recommend that because. I also believe that a lot of people then choose the defense uh, wherein they divorce from their self and they show up, yeah again, it it goes back to you know, you consciously re- repressing pieces of yourself because that is how that is the only way that occurs to you that you can show up in full confidence, which is yeah, it's a defensive mechanism. yes, this was this was helpful. Thank you. I, okay, now going back to the corporate setting, okay. <laughs> a lot of women, feel challenged to i think they feel pushed to quit their corporate jobs and go out on their own when they face discrimination especially when it's racial discrimination gender discrimination discrimination of that nature in those settings what do you think is the better choice to make stay within the system and change the system or like come out fighting in a way where you your fight is visible to everyone else your stand is very very apparent like you take a proper stand
0: um i really can't give a one-size-fits-all answer to this it really okay. depends okay, on the situation enough. yeah like i it, it just really depends on the situation it could be that like the work environment that you're in just doesn't share your values and yeah if it doesn't share your values you're not going to be aligned so you could try to find another company that does share your values you could try to start a company that that transmits those values there's fundamentally a difference in values and you don't I mean and you don't see that changing over time meaning you've like communicated to someone about your values and why they're important to you and how they're not being reflected in the workplace culture and it's just sort of falling on deaf ears then you could choose to stay you probably will be miserable because your values are not aligned or you can choose to leave now that's different from a, a culture that maybe you go to your boss and you express these things and they actually are receptive right um so it really depends on the situation but ultimately if a company's values are not aligned with your values i would say and then and it's scary because you know you need job security and you need yes you know you need to pay the bills and all these things that are necessary on a day-to-day basis but your health and generally feeling of contentment is also important and I think that needs to be prioritized.
1: Absolutely. That that does help because I think we almost, especially when it comes to race, we almost feel obliged to take on the bigger fight, but not mm. everyone has the capacity for that. And a lot of the times we, when we don't have the right resources, we often go about it in a way that is, that doesn't create much change, but creates a lot of conflict. So mm. yeah, your answer does help in that. That's good. Thank you. Okay. So You know, this is challenging for me, and I want to share that because I have never faced, I have, of course, faced gender discrimination in subtle little ways at workplace, in school, but I've never faced racial discrimination. So to me, it becomes, I, I became a part of the conversation when I became aware of the Black Lives Matter. I joined workshops and I tried having a conversation about it, but the room gets so heated when you are a part of that conversation. I was intimidated by the passion that I saw and Mm. justified, very justified anger and outrage. I I remember being in a workshop that went on for about three hours and I think I spoke all of three sentences (laughs) because I was just in awe of these people who had been through so many challenges and they they didn't give up. They were still fighting and they were determined to fight. But as I said, there was so much understandable anger in the room. So I I have to ask, and this to me feels like a difficult question, understanding Mm -hmm. all those emotions how do women of color approach the discrimination, view discrimination in a compassionate light? I know we have already touched upon that, but if there's anything else that they can draw on that can help them engage with that energy without Mm. being, you know, in an oppositional way and instead, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and and not letting their anger lead the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, feelings are energies. Anger is an energy, is a kind of energy. And anger is a in in the world of nonviolent communication anger is described as a tragic expression of an unmet need and so i think that you know as women of color we can do the self work of learning how to be in touch with our emotions and start to channel our emotions again, which are energies in ways that are healthy and ways that are productive, creative, sustainable. So when you, when you notice anger arising in you to be able to have the wherewithal to say, first of all, to make that conscious to say, I am angry, or I am feeling anger right now to be very like, cognizant of it. And that's important, because then you're, you're bringing it to consciousness so that it is not control, you bring it to consciousness, it's less likely to control you. You're able to control it, right? So then you express the feeling, I am feeling anger. And then you express the unmet need behind the feeling. There's always an unmet need behind negative feelings. And to be able to then express that need, and then to go into the requests. And so therefore, this is what I'm this takes, like, this takes years to be able to do because yeah, it's a, it's a, it, our, we're not conditioned to respond in this way. Yeah. We're not conditioned to respond to ourselves in this way, let alone to other people in this way. Right? James Baldwin said that I think that the reason why people cling so much to their hatred is because they suspect that once they're finished dealing with hatred, they'll have to deal with pain. And people don't want to deal with pain. Right? Again, right. going back to learning yeah. how to be with what is, which is the relational piece, the relational skill. Learn how to be with the feeling, make the feeling conscious, express the unmet need behind the feeling, request something of someone, and then listen with empathy. Listen to them in the same way that you listen to yourself, where you're able to actually discern what they're feeling and the unmet need behind that feeling. Right, That's an act of giving and receiving, Right? But you have to be in right relationship with yourself to be able to do that, which requires work, which requires understanding your own shadow, learning your shadow, those parts of your personality that you're unaware of, right? And starting to assimilate it into your being such that you can arrive in a room and talk about oppression, prejudice, with that with that greater sense of consciousness of what's actually feeling this prejudice and the oppression in the first place, right? But that takes practice and that takes a lot of work and it's a—it's not an overnight solution. Right.
1: And uh, I believe theory of enchantment can help you do the shadow work, right?
0: Yes, we teach a lot of shadow work. We do a lot of shadow boxing. Like, you know, Dr. King in his um, letter from a Birmingham jail, he talked about how Because, you know, there are a bunch of clergymen who were upset that they were doing nonviolent protesting. And he was like, the people are angry. I am taking their anger and teaching them how to channel it in creative ways. If they do not channel it in creative ways, they will channel it in destructive ways. Right. And I was so um, blown away to see Dr. King using the language of channeling energy, which is very like Zen thing, you know, um, to do. But he talked about how self-purification was one of those pieces of learning how to channel energy, essentially. And self-purification entails shadow boxing, right? Being aware of what triggers your ego, right? The thing that triggers your ego is the thing that makes you feel like you're superior to other people, right? If you're feeling superior to other people about some attribute, some behavior that they're engaging in, it means... That that impulse is present within you. The reason why it triggered your ego is because it's actually present within you and you didn't, you haven't put yourself in a right relationship with it. You cast it off. Right? Think about the term outcast and in that sense. You cast it out, which caused self-alienation, right? And then self-alienation, you're you're seeing all the things you don't like about yourself in the other person. Right, which is why it triggered your ego. Amazing. Um, yep. So that that's just just we all have to do self work, and self work takes a lifetime. It doesn't stop. But if we want to be able to create what Dr. King called the beloved community, I see no other way to do that.
1: Yeah, you are in a way carrying on that work, and to me, it's beautiful to insert something so light, so beautiful into what is essentially so filled with hate. And it is, you know, as an isolated concept, it is hard to understand that we can hate fellow human beings who are just like us, but it is happening everywhere all the time. And if you can manage to insert something light and beautiful and give it like a container almost, where when you put it in and what you get out is something so beautiful, even if you are the only person doing it in a room, full of that much negativity. I think it's something beautiful. And that there, right there is an incentive to be a part of that movement. Like, yeah. you know, you are doing with theory of enchantment. That is, I think it's beautiful. Not easy, as you said. Definitely not very easy. If you slip, don't be hard on yourself. But <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely cause we should contribute to. Uh, well, and I know,
0: hope. Thank you for saying that. I was just going to say, uh, hatred is very useful in the sense that it will tell you where where your shadow is right if you can re if we, if you can reframe hatred as something that like something to be conscious of not because it's like morally bad to hate right but because it actually shows you something about yourself it's very useful and also ultimately hatred is a numbing it's a thing that helps you numb pain it's like it's it's very similar to alcohol in that way. Right? so it's a, it can be an addiction in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, but you don't it's interesting in over the years that i've been doing this work i've started to destigmatize hatred in the sense that i'm i've started to see hatred not as this kind of mystical monster but as something that can teach us about ourselves and as something which is again just a numbing solution to deal with pain. And I think if we can understand it, we can take the stigma out of it. And then when someone is like responding to us with hatred, you can see beyond that projection and actually start to address the issue.
1: Yeah. Amazing. And Theory of Enchantment is there to help you do that. Uh, (laughs) We've talked
0: about addressing
1: hate. We have talked about countering the opposition that we face um, negativity and hate that we face but i also want to talk about how we can support each other especially where women are concerned and support each other not in a way where and we were saying let me throw the next punch for you but (laughs) support (laughs) each other in in like loving or in a way which makes sense to us as a community Mm.
0: how can we support each other i mean I think it's very easy in our social media world to at least, you know, certainly easy for me to like lose myself in constantly being on social media platforms and, you know, in search of likes and tweets and retweets and all those things, as opposed to like going out with my friends and being in relationship, choosing to actively be in relationship with my friends. And so I think that's something we can especially as women intentionally commit ourselves to doing you know instead of you know you felt that impulse to like check instagram instead of doing that call up an old friend and like reach out to her and see how she's doing or even a contemporary friend you know so i just think we have to be very intentional about cultivating relationship because it's not a value that's valued in our society uh, in a deep sense in a deep sense and that will also give us the opportunity to practice that giving and receiving and being with what is as opposed to like controlling outcomes and this is something that i really have to work on i notice that that's part of my shadows like the need to control outcomes but yeah just being intentional about being in a relationship and hearing each other out and being each other's support system i think that that's that's a way in which we can support each other
1: yeah Beautiful. Because it's been said on the show before as well, and I feel the need to repeat it here. You don't have to fix things for others. You don't have to solve their problems. You just have to be there. Sometimes that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. This was great. This was so helpful. Now, let me ask you the questions that I plan on asking every female guest that we have here, because these answers, I think, are going to help a lot of people. So when you, Chloe, when you feel the need to bring your A game but you feel mm-hmm. all out of, you know, a lot of energy. You feel all or down and out. Where do you find inspiration?
0: So, I mentioned earlier that I have a morning meditation, I have a regular daily meditation ritual, and it's very influenced by different wisdom traditions, Taoism being one of them. And um, in Taoism, there's this like, it's not esoteric, but I don't want to get too much into the weeds here. There's this idea of understanding what's called the inexhaustible nothingness of your being. And that's really beautiful because it helps free you from getting, from getting too caught up in any form, like over identifying with any situation that you're in. Right. So like you can be angry for a minute and then let the anger go, just like waves come and go in the ocean, right. As opposed to identifying with the anger for like 20 hours. So now this is not something I've mastered for the record, but so if I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm not feeling a hundred percent and I have to, especially as an introvert and I have to communicate with people. I'm not, maybe I'm feeling judgmental in my head, right? Maybe I'm feeling like of others, which obviously means myself. If I can remember to tell myself this mantra that that we have in the meditation that i do which is may i realize the inexhaustible nothingness of my being and befriend myself with loving kindness if i can remember that or if you or just say remember the being mode then i then it like brings me back into the present moment as opposed to like me ruminating over what's gonna happen what happened in the past ah, you know, it'll bring me back to the present moment and it'll help me be more in tune with reality.
1: Uh, my last question to you is your number one advice for a female audience to help them live a happy, healthy, and an empowered life.
0: Read the book, The Way of Woman by Helen Luke. One of the most incredible books I've ever read in my entire life. Taught me so much about relationship and learning to be with what is the way of woman by Helen Luke. Incredible book.
1: Okay. This was so helpful. This was so great. Anything you
0: want to share with our audience? I'm um, sure. Yeah. Check out theory of enchantment, theory of And you can enroll in our online course to go through some of these practices that we've been talking about today. You can also follow us on Instagram at Theory of Enchantment, Twitter at Enchant Theory. And best of luck to all of you on your journeys. That's it for today's episode. So did you love it or did you love it?
1: Thank you for joining me today and sharing your time. If you're eager for more, head on over to onhertermspod.com for show notes, guest information, downloads, and more. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, ask questions, and share your struggles with other powerful women, join my intimate community over on Facebook. The link will be in the episode description. Until next week, this has been another episode of On Her Terms Podcast.